It's like, I, I guess when I think about it, like I just literally don't have the pathways in my brain for, for coping or chilling out. That's what happens to addicts. I think a lot is like, you, you'll see a lot of addicts who are like pretty old and they're still like really childish and stuff. And I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm definitely in that group. And I think what happens is, yeah, you, you basically for your entire life, whenever any amount of discomfort or emotional trauma or anything has come up rather than like sitting with it and dealing with it and building a mechanism to, to actually like figure out how to how to manage that you just go like escape 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 like you just open up these little trap doors that you know work to like get you straight away from it you know it's like a off switch for whatever the issue is mm -hmm. hello and welcome to the mr bill podcast we have a returning guest today Kyoto, new jersey born but living in 303 Denver, Colorado, my hometown. The guy has performed at recognized venues across the United States, including the Mission Ballroom, King's Theater, Sound Haven, Soul Fest, Nocturnal Function, and a bunch of others. Uh, he specializes in spunky, laid-back bass lines, schizophrenic percussion, and shuffly rhythms. And he's got a solid Patreon with about 200 students. It's a very heady conversation. Uh, but before we get into it, let me plug Mr. Bill and his website, Tutorials Out the Wazoo, courses, project files, sample packs, live streams, and early access to the podcast. Aside from that, Bill's also going on tour starting, I think he started a couple days ago, but April 28th, Peoria, Illinois, April 29th, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, May 12th, Seattle, Washington, May 13th, Spokane, Washington, May 18th through the 21st, Clarks Grove, Minnesota, May 27th, Des Moines, Iowa, June 2nd, Bozeman, Montana, June 25th through the 30th, Artemis, Pennsylvania, August 24th through August 27th, in Waynesville, Montana. All of this information can be found at mrbillstunes.com forward slash tour. Let's get into this interview with Kyoto and enjoy. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you are listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you're 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 all right man well yeah thanks for coming back on the podcast it's uh, always a pleasure talking to you so excited to chat with you again thanks dude thanks for having me yeah man what have you been up to lately um that's a good question mostly um working on tunes but also trying to like just maintain inspiration uh and, um, I mean, that's been mostly it just been like really in the dude, not been going out much at all or anything like that. Um, and, uh, if anything, I've been getting kind of like, uh, um, been researching a lot of like leftist, uh, ideology stuff in addition to music stuff, I guess. For what purpose? Just like trying to 
educate yourself on other people's views or do you specifically align yourself with those views? Um, well, uh, I would probably fall under the leftist camp. The only reason I guess I wouldn't is if, uh, you know, the term leftist encapsulates, uh, you know, various ideologies that, uh, like some of which might be incompatible, but, um, I think, you know, to oversimplify it, I would probably just call myself a leftist. Uh, but, um, I, th I feel like I'm doing the equivalent of like stockpiling on like arms and ammunition for, you know, I guess the upcoming election or, uh, whatever is to come in the future, except just on researching like different ideologies and stuff, just so I can feel a little bit more equipped and like bring some fucking nuance to the table. Um, that and I'm not just like saying like quips or like you know the same talking points that everybody else says about like you know X, Y, or Z. But are you doing that to basically educate yourself so that you think that your vote is more uh, like well uh, thought out, or, or is it so you can argue with people better on Twitter or something? Uh, both, <laughs> both probably. Uh, well, because like ultimately, like I, um. I don't uh, like I just want to like reach a mutual understanding with people um, and uh, like I basically anything that seems to any like talking point that seems to pit working class people against each other. That is like um, what I like have been seeking out to um, counter and have counters at the ready um so like the trans stuff uh like you know I, I i feel like a lot of that uh is just being used to like stir to stoke like fear and confusion amongst like working class people for the most part i think the vast majority of the people having these conversations um are working class people so like uh yeah i mean i want to be more informed informed on my vote I also want to be more informed as to just like what I can do. Um, and I don't know, cause like the future that I see for society, like it's, it's like, uh, you know, they say that like how well you understand something is only as good as like how well you can explain it to somebody else. So like, um, I don't really see how ideology, I guess, is any different. Mm. Yeah. That's a good point. I feel like also just like understanding more complex things allows you to have sort of um deeper emotions in a way i think like I, I think you see this in children when they don't really understand a lot of things they just hit like this point of having a feeling and then just instantly get like incredibly frustrated and like cry or get angry or something right and mm -hmm. i find as you get older either your emotions get less dense and strong which i don't think is the case or well, obviously you develop mechanisms to, to counter those emotions, but also I think the fact that you're able to like rationalize things and think through things a little more because you understand more and have learned more has a big part to do with, with that kind of stuff. So I think, yeah, you're right in saying that like uh, learning more stuff <clears throat> is definitely no different to learning any other more stuff in yeah. terms, I think, of like having more emotional depth and rationalization and all that kind of stuff. What's like a... A specific talking point that you think pits people against each other and what is your counter for that talking point um well i think that one of the most obvious things is just like how i guess um uh, uh the right and i don't want to like even really 
I think that part of the reason I'm learning about ideology is so that I can talk about politics without saying left or right. And what's interesting about learning about ideology uh, is that uh, I had no idea how much how rooted in philosophy a lot of it is. Most of it is, I guess. So it's like learning about philosophy enables me to talk about ideology without talking about ideology and learning about ideology enables me to talk about politics without talking about politics. Um, so like uh, it's, uh, it's getting to the real meat and potatoes of things. Uh, but like, as far as, um, like the most obvious one right now, uh, I think is how, you know, uh, the right seems to be using marginalized groups like trans people and, uh, you know, drag queens uh, as a scapegoat for uh, a, a pipeline to fascism, basically. Like, the issue's not the issue. Um, I feel like there's just, you know, once, uh, you know, when fascists run out of things that they can, uh, uh, like, valid talking points, I think that they just resort to pitting working-class people against whatever the smallest minority is um, at that given time. Um that happened in like the seventies with like gay people. It was like literally some of the same exact talking points that you see about like drag queens in bathrooms and trans people in the wrong bathrooms or in the you know wrong gendered sport. Uh, it's literally all the same stuff, and I just don't know how it's not more obvious to like more people. I guess. Yeah, one thing I've seen a lot from a few right wing people online in the like probably the past year or something at this point is they'll be like trans people blah 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 and then there's like a rift and then all of a sudden they jump to fucking children and it's like bro what the fuck you just went from like trans people to like child molestation without like anything in between that you just like jump straight there yeah and I think that's, and like, a, that's a pretty fucked talking point and i'll see people well because it's also it's just like it's in bad faith and it's dishonest and it's just like i don't know it's the equivalent of saying like facts over feelings i feel like that's just so fucking because that's just like saying, uh, like, oh, we make healing music. Oh, come to Truth News. Here is the real news. It's like facts over feelings. Like, oh, I operate on the basis of facts. And anyone who disagrees with me is just going off of their feelings. I just feel like it's a dishonest, like, like way, way to start or, like, frame a conversation in the first place. But, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know uh, if you've ever, you ever hear a dialectical materialism? No, I haven't explained it to me. So I have like a rudimentary understanding of it, but it's basically like what Marxism is rooted in. Uh, and it's uh, there's like a number of different like interpretations of it, it seems like, because it was wrote about in like the 1800s. Um, and um, but more or less the way that I understand it is that like everything is uh, consequential and uh, everything has... Uh, like you can't have cars uh, without, you know, uh, greenhouse gases and and uh, burning fuel. Uh, you can't have a class of uh, exorbitantly wealthy people without a class of, you know, uh, grossly imp impoverished people. Um, it's it's sort of. Um, it, it's like the yin yang it, concept, but for things. It it, it for things, and also uh, I think specifically in regards to thought and how. Because I think prior to like that concept of dialectical materialism, I think it was just called historical materialism. And like that, I think just acknowledges that like if you were to chase back, uh, trace back all like events, 
uh, in like history, you would eventually just get back to like the Big Bang or whatever started all this. But if you were to go back not nearly that far, maybe just a couple thousand years, you would probably start to see the beginnings of power dynamics that then started to shape the rest of human history and, and uh, you know, like it formed the society and like the culture and the hierarchies and everything that we see today, like all of that stuff would make sense looking at it through, uh, uh, I guess that that would be like the historical uh, materialist lens. Uh, but dialectical materialism, uh, I think, challenges the idea that we just respond to nature, uh, that it's like, like, I think that the classic, like, historical materialism way of looking at things would be more, um, like, almost uh, rigid in that it's like, this thing happens, and then we respond to it, and we make, we have our own thoughts and feelings, and then we respond to our environment based on that, and then that cycle just keeps repeating. Um, I think that the dialectic part... Um, it sort of suggests that it's almost like what came first, the chicken or the egg? And Marx was like, yes. <laughs> like, like, do we influence our, like the environment around us or does the environment around us, like make us who we are? Uh, and I think that it's uh, both, right? Yeah, exactly. Like that's, that's, um, but cause I think that a more conservative worldview would be that like, you know, we, we, we don't even bother to try and change the world around you because you should try and find peace within and that's all that matters. I mean, that's one way that you can think, yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to say it's the most productive or the not most productive way. I mean, definitely like acceptance and peace in just finding, that's like a Buddhist kind of view, isn't it? It's like just, you know, figure out how to be happy and that's it. And like that's mm -hmm. the end goal is just, just figure that out. Um, I mean, definitely there's yeah, different ways you can look at things. I, th I think like probably your ideals in the way that your default feelings are set in uh, is probably yeah, what shapes your ideological views a lot. And I think those are pretty much generated a lot based on uh, who your parents are, where you were born, mm -hmm. you know, what race you were born as, all these things that you just have no choice uh, mm -hmm. over basically. I'm a little bit of like a determinist, so I don't really believe in a lot of free will in the first place. So I think like a lot of this shit just like you're born into it basically and you don't really have a choice in, in that a lot. I don't know enough about like I haven't uh, done enough like reading or watching or learning about this stuff to know where determinism like plays into all this. I wouldn't be surprised if like it does or if it's like uh, in philosophy, you know, it's like one of the biggest discussions. It's mm -hmm. like the the sort of one of the biggest questions I think is the free will one because either you like either it's a roll of the dice that the universe does every millisecond or whatever and that mm -hmm. only gives you randomization or everything is like set in a course in which yeah. there's no free will in that either. I'm pretty torn on that honestly. Like, I mean, the, the argument is like, did you have the agency to do differently in any moment? Yeah, and I don't know if. Yeah, because yeah, like, I don't know. here's a good example. Like, let me ask you, like, what's your favorite city in the world? Yeah, it's uh, New York is what came to mind, but that's fucking so arbitrary. Right, and like, did you think of I don't know Spokane, Washington? I thought of Dubai first. 
Yeah, but I mean, like, if you didn't think of Spokane, then you wouldn't, you weren't free to pick that one for starters. Uh, so you're only free to pick like the few things that you thought of, and mm-hmm. out of the ones that you thought of, you, 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 I don't know. If you break it all down, like the the amount of choice you actually have is so limited, and that's probably like the most choice that you're ever going to get with any decision ever, right? Is <laughs> like pick one of your favorite cities. There's like a billion options. <laughs> have you seen that documentary on Netflix, uh, Trip to Infinity? Uh, no, I haven't. Pretty, pretty fucking crazy. You should totally watch it. It's like totally like a nice humbling thing to watch as like, you know, they interview some of the smartest people in the world from like ba- all different backgrounds of like philosophy and science and math and physics. Um, and they, they just talk about infinity and, uh, it seems to be just like the great equalizer in that, like. It humbles anybody who talks about it, and it seems to either drive people crazy or, like, endlessly fascinate people. So, like, for example, I like, really, I think where it comes into play with math, it just breaks math. Um, so, like, if you have infinity uh, plus one, my cat does the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> if you have infinity plus one, does that still equal infinity? And well, if there's so, different, there's different infinities, right? There's like the ones with all the imaginary numbers, and then there's the ones with all the real numbers, and then there's all the real numbers and the imaginary numbers on like a giant matrix that goes in the diagonals and like all sorts of shit like that. Yeah. See, I don't and even. These are all like large, extremely large numbers. I think like they've calculated like some infinities are bigger than other infinities, and and ah. then there's the the like you know. Uh, the more abstract philosophical thought of like infinite, like no end to anything kind of thought as well, which Mm -hmm. is, I mean, I guess how I understand it, but I know mathematicians have, have broken it down into different number sets. And I think the maybe biggest infinite number set is Aleph null. I want to say, let me Google that Mm. real quick. Yeah. I'm curious. Oh, sorry. My bad. Aleph null is the smallest infinite number. It's the cardinality Uh. size of the set of natural numbers. Um, so there are Aleph null natural numbers. Did you do yeah. math in school? No, I didn't. I like read about it sometimes in my spare time yeah. and shit. But, and I've been like trying to get a little bit more into programming lately, specifically because AI stuff is interesting me. Mm-hmm. Um, like I've been messing around tons with that dance diffusion thing recently, which is fucking crazy. Uh-huh. Do, you, do you know about stable diffusion? Uh, a little bit. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, like if it works in a slightly different way than the other large language models or. Well, stable diffusion is the image one. So basically the way uh-huh. that it works is it takes like an image, it noises it a ton of times until it like takes that image, gets it to white noise, uh, which is kind of like a Gaussian blurred noise uh-huh. image. And then it figures out how to get from that noise image back to the original shit that it was trained on or something similar to the original stuff that it was trained on. So then when you give it anything else, it's able to go like, all right, here's the anything else that you gave me. Now I'll put it through this noising process. And then once it gets uh-huh. to the end, it's like, all right, now I know how to get from that back to the shit that I was trained on. So it unnoises it and gets it back to the stuff that was similar, similarly trained on. Um, and the, the dance diffusion model is a fork of that. So it works no different, but for audio, it just takes audio, applies noise to it a ton of times until it gets to essentially white noise. That's almost nothing. And then it's able to get it back to something similar to what you trained it on. So I've been taking these models. There's this model that's trained on this dude named Jonathan Mann. And he holds the Guinness World Record for the most tracks written and released consecutively um, in a, like each day. So he's released and written a song every day for the last like 5,000 days or something like that. Oh, <coughs> so shit. over 10 years at this point. 
So they took his whole discography and they trained it on his whole discography. Um, so there's this model now that's open source uh, that's trained on like 5,000 of one guy's songs. So I took that model and then I forked it and trained it on my discography. And because of computer, I guess, <clears throat> in the world of noise, like music is such a subset and niche, like part uh -huh. of the whole world of white noise, which is to a computer, all audio signals. Mm -hmm. um, so you take something that already kind of knows what music is and then you fork it based on your music and then you don't have to go through that whole training of like teaching a thing of fucking just every audio signal and white noise ever what, what even music is. And um, <clears throat> yeah, the results are interesting. It chunks things, I think, by like three to four to five seconds or something like that. So you only get a couple of seconds of like something that sounds like it could be a Mr. Bill beat and then another chunk and another chunk. So it kind of sounds like you're flipping through like a Mr. Bill radio. It does. Yeah, yeah. Some of those that you showed me, it sounded like that. Yeah, super interesting stuff though. So I've been not really getting into maths, but like getting into a mm -hmm. little bit of coding stuff for that. Does it do it? like based off of like the spectrograph or something like what what's uh, no. like the input so, or like the modality so, i guess so for dance diffusion it's audio signals you train it all on audio signals and it works the same way as stable diffusion but for audio and then there's this other thing called refusion and that one is trained on images so the way that they did it is the exact same thing that they did for stable diffusion where it's noising and denoising images but it does it with spectrograms and then it puts it through a thing that's able to synthesize a piece of audio i mean it must be kind of arbitrary which way it gets there right is it because it's the same information but just it displayed differently isn't it pretty much yes but i think that like uh like breaking an image down into pixels is probably got more resolution than any F fft audio thing that we have uh-huh i think so and in also the, the sense... maths is just a lot more simple i think for uh -huh. for looking at an image because you just go like here's all the pixels here's the value of all the pixels here, uh -huh. and whereas with audio it's like here's all the samples and here's the value of all the samples i suppose which is just a lot more information i think than because with a with an image it's like what 512 by 512 pixels so it's what 100,000 or whatever whatever that is whereas with a with an audio sample you only have to go like three seconds with a 44k sample and you're already up to 44.1k times three which is more than a 512 by 512 i think but let me just check my maths because i might be wrong uh I'm 512 curious. times 512 is yeah it's like 262,000. so if you divide that by like 48,000, which is what these models are trained on with the sample rate that's like five seconds of audio you know <laughs> uh-huh i see i see Ah, uh, and then it would just be a wider image if it was longer, like uh, or no? No, wait. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, it would just be yeah wider. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. but it only it only does five twelve by five twelve, so it's like the same. But those thing. images, like a spectrograph, is just an approximation of the waveform, anyhow, right? Or because like, isn't that what FFT is? I mean, it's a pretty close, pretty almost spot on accurate approximation. But like, isn't that what FFT kind of is? Just like a really 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 accurate approximation of yeah information yeah definitely and i'm talking out of my ass when i say that i think images might have more resolution i just assume that yeah yeah i don't know for sure um so you're saying before like you've been in the studio a ton lately just like trying to figure out inspiration and stuff what are, what, what do you class inspiration as um uh, that's a good question um Something that gives me a spark to 
create. Um, and sometimes it's kind of like, you know, this thing that seems to come out of nowhere that I have no control over. But then other, you know, like I try and look at it like it's a muscle that I can flex uh, or like, like I just try and uh, I don't know, like it's, it's, I, I'm kind of grappling with this, uh, the like how much I benefit from routines and like uh, from my physiological and mental like health and well-being but it's almost like um like cruel in a way or like a catch-22 because I feel like routines are just like not great for my uh inspiration too much like once I start saying it seeing and doing the same shit every day then I like stop uh you know, I like lose, I guess that like spark a little bit. So like, I feel like learning new things, like having my brain just be like in as plastic of a state as possible at all times, uh, you know, keeps me inspired. And I think like being reminded of my purpose, whatever that is, even if I don't, you know, quite know, I I think like, you know, I, I think among other things, I know that my purpose is probably just to like make life less shitty for people who are born like before or after me, but I think especially after just because it's, I have more of a, of a higher likelihood of being able to help. So like when I was streaming, like, you know, a f- few times a week for like a year straight, uh, which like I, that was like up until I put out my album, No Hands in like September or October. And then I took a break. I haven't really got back into it since then, but uh, it's really only a matter of time. And, uh, like, I'm not like saying anything in stone about like what a schedule or any of that stuff. Uh, I'm just going to wait until I start. And once I start and it seems as though I've been doing it for a bit, then I'll talk about it, uh, like a schedule or things like that. But it was super, super, super beneficial for like my, my health, my physical health, my mental health. Like it seems it's like something that like I'm almost ashamed to admit because uh, I don't know, like I guess like the individualist in me wants to, you know, be able to find motivation from like within despite everything at all times and like not need anybody ever. But also that's like the bleeding heart in me. Like I fully concede and accept that I can't do this alone. I've not, I've never done any of this alone in the first place. So like it should be no surprise that something like having that positive reinforcement of like streaming it, like that year when I was streaming, it was just like, I don't know, like incalculable, incalculable numbers of like opportunities came my way and people reaching out to me and blah, blah, blah. It was just so good for me. Um, so like, I don't know what my purpose is necessarily. I know that it probably has something to do with helping people. And I know that uh, when I'm reminded of what that purpose is, I, I am more uh, inspired and I can kind of tap into that more easily. Um but, uh, yeah, so I'm always just trying to kind of like, I don't know, think of, uh, like, I'm going to move my studio to next room over. I, we had a roommate, uh, who was like struggling with, uh, some, some bad drugs. And then she finally moved out. Uh, she's a really nice person and I have a lot of empathy for her, but, uh, now the top floor of the house that we live in, it belongs to fully to my partner, Morgan and I. And, uh, like my studio in this current space is like a box. It's like a square, which is like worst acoustically 
uh, for dimensions. Uh, and I'm going to be moving into the room next over, which is like far better acoustically for just from like a dimensions point of view. Uh, and I think like even just that change of environment will probably be, uh, probably be like, like the, like, it'll probably be like one to two years worth of like solid inspiration. Because that seems to be like what happens every time I just like change my environment or something even. Hmm, I have the opposite experience. I find when I move into a new room, it takes me a while to get like the hang of the room and takes me a while before I'm like confident making music in there. Um, Yeah, but I I would agree with you. I think inspiration, it doesn't really come from nowhere. I think it's always reactive, like every possible like time that I've ever been like oh I got an idea here that oh I have an idea is really should be framed as oh I just got an idea from this other thing or like yeah you know, it's basically all like forks of different ideas um, yeah just that like hold this that is a remix or this is a rem everything's a remix documentary or whatever yeah um, it's dialectical yeah exactly yeah uh so yeah i think like so long as you can find something to generate stimulus that is endlessly interesting and exciting to you then you should have no problem like sort of kick-starting the creative engine and i found ai to be that for me recently like just these things that spits out sounds pretty much nothing like music but it has like little sparks of musical ideas in there you know and it'll, yeah like, kick into these like two second segments where it's like oh what the hell that, that like tiny little beat was interesting and then like you yeah. cut that little beat out and then like loop it a bunch of times and then start building something off that and and then yeah it's a and then you take that beat and like try and get it to regenerate that using a different model and so on and i find it's just like a it's like an engine to just like constantly keep generating ideas or keeping me excited because i find there's like a point where you're working on an idea and then you get to like i don't know however long into it like maybe get it to like 40 percent finished or 50 percent finished and then you're like oh it's kind of feeling stale and then you stop working on it for a bunch and that's why i've always been a big fan of collaboration because like somebody else's input on that idea that you've become like really precious with or um, protective of or whatever and you don't want to change anything or move forward with it um it makes it like really easy when somebody else just like pulls it apart because they have no like uh, preconceived notion of like how much value is in that piece because they put no effort into it. And the only thing that I think um, that is like truly valuable to me is time, which is non-renewable, which means if I've invested like 40 minutes into it or an hour or two hours or whatever into a thing, it like then has that intrinsic value of like time invested into it attached to it. And so like getting somebody else to then just like pull it apart and do something with it, like allows me to be like, oh, that's actually an exciting, cool new idea. And then I'll basically rebuild my idea, but then put their idea into it and all sorts of shit. And, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I think like AI can now be seen a little bit in, at least in my eyes as like a digital collaborator in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would love to train one in my house so I could replace she who shall not be named because like (laughs) if i tell her to fucking turn the lights on or off in a certain room but i like don't say it in like the precise order that it needs to be said then it just doesn't even compute or register (laughs) and like it would be sick also like i would just like to take advantage from like an api approach um because like john leitner restraint uh, he's like probably one of the smartest people i ever met uh, in my life um and he's honestly just a tragically humble person um 
uh, you know, slept on, but, uh, like I'll always, you know, shout his name from the rooftops cause, uh, he definitely deserves it. Uh, but, um, he, uh, for his like home automation setup, he, he used like a, like a raspberry Pi, uh, where he, he plugged in, I think like a Wi-Fi adapter and then like a Zig Zigbee adapter. So it had, it had like all the types of adapters that, that one might find in various like, uh, smart devices, like light bulbs and things like that. And then installed on it, um, uh, what is it? Home, home assistant. I forget. There's a few of them. I think Home Assistant's the one I'm thinking of, unless that's the Apple one. Uh, let me look well, it up. Apple quick. has the Home app. Home app. Okay, yeah, that's where I get confused. Now, Home Assistant is more for like gritty Lego artists, tinker, <laughs> like you know, uh, uh, you know, people who make like little fucking machines or like you know, make a blue ball machine that like pops the toaster right when you. Right, as soon as the lights come on when you wake up, um, type of people uh, is what home assistant seems to be for. Uh, but uh, he's got it set up, that, and I, I think this is just a feature via home assistant. Where like normally, if I want to talk to she, she who shall not be named, to turn on or off the lights, I got LifeX bulbs, and obviously since it's, it's an Amazon product, like it's it. One, it's got to connect to the internet, which is stupid. It's just so dumb. It like, and it says, I think, on like the elevator pitch on like the Home Assistant website, like from the guy who like founded it. Like, you know, if you're, uh, you know, uh, if you if you lose any of the conveniences uh, that you had before home automation because of your home automation, then it's failed you essentially. Like, it you shouldn't have to be like backtracking or like doing anything extra because you've got home automation, which is what it seems to fucking turn into half the time. But, uh, uh, it, it would be sick if, uh, like when, with John's situation that he's got set up, um, like, you know, if I send a command to like change a color, of one of my light bulbs, uh, although yes, like LifeX, like it has its own system and then the Amazon shit has its own system and it's got to like communicate with their servers and blah, blah, blah before it can even. So it's like, you know, it, the chain of command is like me, my phone goes to my router, goes to the internet, goes to Amazon, and then it goes back <laughs> to, to my router, my home network, and then it changes the lights. But with home assistant, you can like just intercept that data that gets sent the moment I say like, Oh, change the light to this color, blah, blah, blah. Um, so I imagine long story short that, uh, AI will make that sort of thing probably a lot more fluid and like less fucking hair pulling. Like hopefully within the next, like, honestly, like it's probably totally possible now. Um, it's just a matter of like, you know, it would probably be way easier for me to figure out or set up in like a year or two. And it, it'll probably be accessible for everybody to have like some home Jarvis shit that just like be like, hey, uh, chat GPT, uh, here is uh, everything, all the devices connected to my network, blah, blah, blah. Um, here's the apps that I use, you know, generate me, like help me generate an API stuff uh, to to make it less bullshit basically is what I hope to see in the near future among other things. 
Yeah, I mean, my personal experience with home or smart home stuff has been pretty decent. If I say like, hey, turn the lights to a different color, I mean, yeah, it takes like a second or two, but it's not that bad. It's like the internet's pretty quick. I got gigabit connection these days, and it's, yeah, it's, it's not, not the bad. worst. It's not, yeah, yeah. But it's like uh, I just got like one light in one room that just doesn't want to work like the way the rest of them do. I mean, it, it it could be my router. There's so many points of failure for that sort of thing too. Mm. Um, but I can't wait until we have AI that just logs actions that you do like just all of them not even on your computer just constant <laughs> just logs all yeah. of your activity and then it just goes like it's it's like a little helper that goes like oh you're about to get sick i'm gonna just put some medication in your mailbox tomorrow and i'll like yeah you know, you're, you're that's about what to, i'm saying you're about to like go make food and then you just walk to the kitchen food's just there or like you know, yeah that just takes well, care of like, like all these little tasks could be cool although it probably <laughs> would remove something which is you know it, you feel like it, it would make you sort of be like babied constantly and you might lose some you know, <laughs> uh some ability to look after yourself to some degree which i think like we've already lost a shit ton of ability to look yeah. after ourselves in terms of like from a hunter gatherer perspective right like they, they were making like fucking houses and chopping up animals and cooking and hunting and climbing trees and all sorts of shit most of us can't do that anymore because of like agriculture and you know, the way that housing is set up and society is set up and whatnot. But so I think it would just like potentially go that way more, right? Like if we're the quote unquote hunter gatherer uh, to the to the future people as hunter gatherers are now to us, I can only imagine how inept people may end up getting from something like that. Yeah, that's, that's exactly like, that's where I was probably getting at bringing up like having a at home drivers thing, like, because I would love something like that like a dynamic assistant that can like you know like and all you would need probably is a you know some watch that you know records your like blood pressure heart rate and then like maybe a couple decent like cameras with decent frame rates and decent resolution like around the house and then like especially if it was like you know based around like large language models um you know it could like it could just based off of like the information inputted from like your heart rate and your blood pressure um and and from like audio and from context clues and from like maybe just like looking at what you're doing in the kitchen uh, i imagine that it'll be able to tell like when you're gonna eat what you're eating even depending on like how many cameras you have set up or, or you might not even need to you know tell like remember to because it's like i think about this for my own like health like man i feel like i'd probably have a lot more answers about my health if i just journaled like regularly mm. like i ate this and i feel this way but like i never do that i never think to right yeah so it so becomes like, like yeah. more difficult to put the dots together whereas like for an ai they might just be like the reason you feel like shit is because you eat cinnamon toast crunch every single night before bed <laughs> yeah 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 um also can i smoke weed in this podcast yeah, you can do whatever you want. It, it's uh, YouTube? It goes on YouTube, right? No. Patreon? Uh, no, no, no. It's just on my website. I host it, so you can do whatever oh, yeah. you want. Oh, yeah. Oh, hell yeah. Nice. Yeah, that's Wait, the what? cool thing about you hosting. In your... Yeah. I live in Atlanta. It's illegal in Atlanta. But I think smoking weed on general in the internet is not illegal. Um, I think it varies on the website and stuff. I mean, but if it's Elon's... Elon Musk smoked weed on Joe Rogan's podcast, and that's on YouTube. 
Yeah. I mean, Joe Rogan smokes weed all the time on his podcast and that's on YouTube and they don't seem to give a shit. It's also on Spotify, so I guess they don't give a shit either. Yeah. Also, I mean, the amount of like rap that's on Spotify that has rappers in there being like about to smoke a blunt and then they have like some little sample that goes for the lighter and then a for the breath or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel like, yeah. In general, I think smoking weed these days is pretty accepted worldwide. I think. Yeah, I mean, I mean maybe not in some, maybe not in like Asia, some parts of Asia. I think it's seen as being like worse than murder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like in the process of dialing it back on the weed because I first I was dabbing. Well, first I quit drinking alcohol, and then I was totally sober basically for like six to eight months, and then I started smoking weed, and then I started dabbing, and then I was doing that for like about two years, and then. I probably like a year ago, I started getting like uh eustachian tube dysfunction. I don't remember if we ever talked about this or if I ever asked you. Eustachian tubes is like the uh the tubes that go from your ear to your throat, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think that it's like if you were to take a, a pencil or whatever and stick it like directly into your face via your nose that it the tube is like behind your nose in your face like in your sinuses and it connects like that your inner ear to your like sinuses basically like i don't know about throat specifically although i think it's almost semantics at that point like i, I think it years. goes like i feel like it's the runs right down here and yeah like whenever i get sick and i get like a lymph node thing going on or something it really fucks my hearing up yeah yeah and um, also when you, if you're on a plane you know like all your shit all gets blocked because of the, I think, of those tubes. And then you, like, open your jaw and stretch your face and stuff, and it can kind of, like, clear them. So I think that my crackhead tendencies um, and, like, the fact that I've been, like, smoking, like, various things over the last 10 years on a daily basis, like, nonstop, I think that has caused me some dysfunction in that area. And I think that there's two types of eustachian tube dysfunction. I don't forget. I don't remember which, like, which is which or what they're called, but I know that one is it's where they're closed. One of them's closed or both when it's not supposed to be, or it's open when it's not supposed to be. I don't know which one I have, but um, I know that smoking a fuck ton, whether regardless of what it is, can contribute to it because you just dry the fuck out of your, you know, your your tubes. Like they normally like hydrate themselves and they're probably, you know, nice and moist and stuff and they're just not i guess when you have yeah when you are you have drug addict tendencies and are just hand to mouth hand to mouth hand to mouth <laughs> just inhaling things that aren't air um yeah, yeah i started doing that since getting out of rehab i went to rehab for the ketamine thing for a month and then got out of there and started vaping basically i didn't vape the whole time i was in there which was surprising because that's all people were doing do people were so bored in there they were doing like ciggy smoking races and shit they're like <laughs> let's see who can smoke this ciggy the fastest and they both light one up and just <laughs> um, oh my god but yeah i got out of there went like i don't know a few more weeks after getting out of there without smoking and i was like fuck it i'm gonna start vaping need something <laughs> yeah honestly it's uh like it's totally I mean, quitting the vape is like fucking, I still feel like I'm addicted to it. And I quit like three months ago and I feel like it's, I mean, they say it's like more addictive than most of the things, right? It's yeah. Like nicotine is insanely addictive, but also in terms of like, uh, 
an active addiction in which you can function basically from day to day in most of the way, it's a lot fucking better than doing an ounce of ketamine a week. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, of course. Uh, I mean, I think, uh, well, and like recovery isn't linear, like at all. Um, no. And like, I don't know, like, like I, uh, I, I like got on Adderall when I, you know, quit drinking and that like helped me quit drinking. Uh, but like, um, I'm starting to taper from that also. Cause it's like, you know, I wanted that to be a temporary thing anyway. And I'm like, and it does feel like cheating in a way. It's like liver King, you know, but like, I, I don't want to be, <laughs> I, don't, I would never want to be someone that people like look up to and they're like, how does he do it, man? Like he says he's sober. What does that mean? Like, fuck. I guess, like, I would never it, want it, to. It means something yeah. different to everyone, you know? It's like, uh, that's what I've noticed in recovery. Like, someone will be like, I'm sober, but they vape like a fucking madman and drink like 30 coffees a day. Yeah. It's yeah. like, yeah, man. Or, you know, like a lot of people, they get out of recovery and they get like hella addicted to sugar. Um, uh huh. And I mean, you know, just some of these are just more socially acceptable than there's like a tier, a tier rung tier of addictions that are socially acceptable. Sugar is probably the most one that's okay. Yeah. Followed by probably yeah, coffee and then probably nicotine and then go down the list basically with all the other things. But I mean, like when I say I'm sober to people, like, yeah, I vape a lot. I drink a lot of coffee. I take medication for depression uh, and anxiety and sleep. So... You know, I take, I'm not like sober, sober, but I, I'm sober in comparison to where I was, you know, which was like, yeah, yeah. cancel shows, went to jail, went to hospital a bunch of times. Yeah, yeah. Went to like, you know, w wasn't able to like basically do the podcast or anything, like couldn't keep to any schedule, like wasn't sleeping for days at a time, then sleeping four days at a time. Like it was just, it was fucked. It was a mess. And yeah, yeah. Comparatively to that, I'd say I'm pretty damn clean and uh, yeah. on, on the right road right now. Yeah. Big up, dude. Honestly, like, I can't tell you how, uh, I don't know, like, how happy it made me to see you vocal about that, too, just because, like, it's like, I don't know, there's so many uh, mixed messages with things. It's like Liver King, you know what well, I mean? It's, it's, it's like, shameful, man. Like, a lot of people don't want to admit, like, that drugs got the better of them or they're afraid of, like, the legal ramifications of being vocal about it, you know, because obviously doing ketamine and buying drugs is illegal. Um, mm -hmm. And that's just something that I hope won't bite me in the ass. And if it does, I would just hope that it would have had more of a positive effect than on others than a negative effect on me. Uh, yeah, and I, yeah. And I believe that would probably be the case. And I believe I'd probably see it that way. So that's why I sort of weighed up my options and was like, yeah, fuck it. I mean, I think this is going to do more positive than negative, like in, mm. in, in like the net of positive negative things. But <clears throat> yeah, I agree with you. I think like a lot of people, um, and I understand why people don't, it's like super shameful, man. You don't want to be like, yeah, I spent a hundred grand in a year on drugs and fucking mm -hmm. almost killed myself. Like that's a shitty story to tell people. It makes you look weak. It makes you look like, a, you know, a questionable human being. Mm -hmm. Um, but I mean, yeah, at the can. same time, it, 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 yeah, yeah. this is a stigma, it, I guess. And it's, it's, there's so many cultural layers to the shame aspect of like whether or not like it should be shameful is uh, like is like i would say it's like probably up for debate like i don't know because it's like so because it's like the feeling is fucking awful like it feels shameful for sure but like i also don't necessarily know like where that feeling comes from or like 
I don't know. It's it's hard to be kind to ourselves, even with like you know the 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 knowledge or the wisdom or you know being able to like look at things in retrospect and like and at least for me, it's really hard for me to like be kind to myself, uh, whatever totally. that means. I think also like though the one of the biggest parts of recovery is being honest and being truthful to yourself. And I think by being honest with others you're like going through a big step right there by being like, yeah, I'm a piece of shit. And you tell others like, yeah, I'm a piece of shit. I did shitty things. And, and I think that it like helps a lot with your recovery and it keeps you accountable too, right? Like everyone fucking knows that I was a heinous drug addict for two years or whatever now, like Mm -hmm. who listens to this podcast, who's talked to me basically since I got out of recovery, every promoter that books me, it's on my rider that I have a sober green room now. Like it's a clause on my rider. Like everyone fucking knows now. So as soon as like, I do any drugs it's like probably hopefully everyone around me is like yo bill what the fuck are you doing you know yeah yeah well yeah yeah it ups the stakes a bit i think uh well yeah because when you speak it into reality whatever it is and then like people see that and it's just yeah it makes it uh the accountability just becomes like more ingrained into like your everyday everything um, just kind of like laying it all out on the table. Yeah. Like doing things in like secret is like, I think that's where, cause it, that's, that's like, I, I feel like that's the type of shit why people like find like a higher power. I imagine is cause like, cause uh, at least for me until I had like a reckoning with all this shit, I used to, I used to for the longest time think like, well, no one's watching. Who cares? Like what's <laughs> but like, like eventually it does get to that point, I guess, where it's like, I'm like, well, fuck, like, nobody's watching. And I'm like, oh, goodness. I'm like, almost like I really want someone watching. But, like, yeah, because, I don't know, that's, like, when it matters most, I guess, is when nobody's watching, like, with the, the decisions that we make. Yeah, exactly. It's it's easy to, like, bury the shame and bury the severity of the situation when you've got nobody there to call you on your shit because it's very easy to become lenient with yourself and it's also really really easy to normalize crazy shit like mm-hmm. the amount of drugs that i was doing if i was doing it like very openly in front of anybody else they'd be like dude what are you doing you're gonna kill yourself whereas uh-huh. like doing it to myself i slowly got there over a long period of time normalizing 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 until like you know like doing one line at first was like kind of weird and crazy and then like that became normalized and then doing a gram in a week became normalized you know when it originally like doing a gram in a week would be like what the hell there's so much drugs and then a gram a day uh-huh. became normalized two grams a day became normalized etc cetera, etc cetera, until like all of a sudden just doing a huge amount of drugs every day is just normal. And uh-huh. unless you like, yeah, have that sort of barometer of like somebody else to to tell you that shit, which also when you're a drug addict, you don't want because you kind of don't want to like leave that place. It's, you know, it's going to be a lot of work, you know, it's going to be very hard, you know, uh-huh. it's going to probably make you sick for a long time, all of this kind of shit. It's like, so I don't know, there's like, yeah, it seems like... <clears throat> There's so I don't know when you're in that that state of drug addiction. It's, there's just so many uh, like justifications and lies and layers of uh-huh. shame and all sorts of shit. It's a fucked up thing. Yeah, I hate it. I wouldn't wouldn't wish it upon anyone. And I'm glad that I'm not dealing with it anymore. And I have no plans to go back to it. Yeah, hell yeah, dude. Yeah, I mean, same. It's like it's pretty crazy. Like, I mean, that's like if anything, like the biggest. I mean, yeah, like last time I was on this 
your podcast is I was like the night before I had fucking I was living at John Lightner's at Restraints House like to quit drinking. I had separated from Morgan for a little bit uh and like I was like I just got to go I got to not be here in this environment uh like I have to figure my shit out like on my own terms uh it, with so that Morgan is not present for like any collateral damage or whatever and uh um <clears throat> yeah the, like I just got so drunk every single night I was there which like like honestly like he's just one of the best dudes I've ever met cuz like I don't it's like it's very rare I think that you find people who who can like like believe or accept or understand that like that like recovery isn't a linear process and that like this is weird tom said he's coming over here to quit drinking and here he is drinking like every single night and like a lot um like i i did that for like a month or two months and then my goal my idea in my head was just like okay well if i can't get sober here then then I'm going to go to my dad's and cause he's been sober for like 20 years. So like, if there's anyone who knows how to do that, it would be him. Um, and I'm like super, super grateful for that. But I'm also just, yeah, grateful for the fact that I'm here and like, I would, my trajectory had already started to go downhill for like, I don't know, for some time, I think maybe a year or two, basically, ironically enough, since I moved to Denver is like when it really started to get bad. Um, and then yeah right like the last podcast like i was so hung over for that and i remember being scatterbrained and just feeling not like very good about things so it's uh i'm happy to be here yeah dude i'm glad you got over that one too i had also a huge alcohol problem at some point which ketamine replaced which is why it transformed into that whole fucking mess but yeah those are solid few years uh, also, when I moved to America, specifically Denver, was yeah, when my alcoholism got crazy. Uh, but yeah, it's a uh, yeah, addiction sucks. But uh, yeah, I'm glad that you're so you don't drink anymore either. No, no, I'm like California sober basically. I mean, uh, uh, even that, like, like more recently, I'm I'm trying to get over like inhaling anything in general. Uh, I just went down from like a 20 milligram Adderall prescription to like 15 milligram, and then I'll just do that. Uh, until I'm not taking it anymore. Um, Cause it's like, it's one of those things where it's like, I'd like to know that I have it in me to like focus and shit, uh, like without like, you know, pharmaceuticals. Uh, but, uh, and I'm also willing to accept like, you know, if I, you know, end up getting off it completely and then I don't, uh, and then I'm like off it for like six months to a year plus, And I'm like, all right, this is not working. Like I'm totally willing to, you know, concede and, uh, like allow the help of pharmaceuticals if it were to come to that. But I just really want to, uh, like, I don't know, being at like fucking true raw dog sobriety as terrifying as it sounds. I feel like I have to at least know what it's like. Cause I just don't, I don't, I, it's the most terrifying thought to, to me at any given time. Like I got something flowing through my veins, usually caffeine, Adderall, uh, we, but what is what is the fear exactly? Do you think is it the fear of change, or the fear of a little amount of uncomfortability and pain, or the fear of uh, loss of productivity, or just all of the above? Or? 
Uh, it's really well, like it's the fear of like having to deal with something mildly uncomfortable. <laughs> Literally, it's, my, it's mild uncomfort. That, that's that, yeah. I don't like. It is like a fear, though. That's what's crazy about it. It's like I'm scared. Like, oh God, I don't. I literally don't know what will happen. Like, is how it feels in my head. Like, I know. Like, I have a good idea of what will happen if I go without, like, smoking weed, or if I go without. Uh, I mean, that's like honestly the main one. Like, caffeine is definitely like. It would be nice if I weren't fucking haunted by all these external things at any given second of any given day all the time basically i'm thinking you know i could totally feel fucking different than this like basically always so like, like always escapism basically trying yeah. to escape from your current feeling into a different one yeah which like it's funny because sometimes just the passage of time is just like literally that and like i don't know i'm getting better at it like i'm like it's it's a doozy that's for sure but but it's like I, I guess when i think about it like i just literally don't have the pathways in my brain for for coping or chilling out and just being like that's what happens to addicts i think a lot is like you, you'll see a lot of addicts who are like pretty old and they're still like really childish and stuff and i'm not uh i'm, I'm definitely in that group and i think what happens is yeah you you basically for your entire life whenever any amount of discomfort or emotional trauma or anything has come up rather than like sitting with it and dealing with it and building a mechanism to to actually like figure out how to how to manage that you just go like escape 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 like you just open up these little trap doors that you know work to like get you straight mm -hmm. away from it you know it's like a off switch for whatever the issue is like it, it I, sometimes I feel like I can be a bore or, or like uh, talking about this stuff or like it's beating a dead horse but then also like I feel like the demographic or like the audience that like I have like the people that gravitate towards me seem to be people that also like a uh, hyper obsess over like their own shit um uh for for better or worse I mean because I never want it to be like I never want to be some fucking perverted extension of like c Irish Catholic guilt or some shit. And like, you know, I, I only, you know, cause it, there's all, there's always like that fucking dichotomy, I guess, of like, all right, all right. Like, am I overthinking about this too much? Like, like, can I just chill out? But then also I feel like I'm just scared that that will kill me basically. <laughs> like relaxing too hard like the idea of like this like western idea that like and i don't know i'm assuming it's mostly a western idea that like we reach a certain age and then we just stop working like i think that is fair but i think that it has gotten perverted a little bit where people just think like i just gotta make the bag and then i literally never have to lift a finger again or i never have to, i never have to i can just do whatever i want all the time i'm like that sounds fucking awful <laughs> like that sounds like that sounds like what got me into the position I was in, which led me to here, which like in a sense I'm grateful. I get like like I guess I wouldn't have it any other way because if it just meant that if I hadn't gone through this that I would eventually anyway, then yes, I'm glad that I went through the throes of alcohol addiction and then and then quit it. Uh, if that was only like an inevitability anyway, but um I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> you're talking about like people who just work to get to retirement and not have to work yeah anymore. yeah like uh, um like 
I feel like it's a delusion that we can, <laughs> like, just fucking, ch- like, stop work, like, progressing on, like, ourselves at least. I'm not saying, you know, we're, like, from a stopping production for capital, the increase of capital perspective, or, like, at all, like, but literally just from, like, a personal growth, like, I, it's like a difficult or like uncomfortable truth, I guess, that like, you know, maybe like everyone would be better off if we like walked outside at least once a day. But uh, I don't think or, that's why people are working to retirement. Like, I don't think people are going like, I'm going to work, make all this money, do all of this like shit and then get to a point where I just cease all personal growth and don't do anything. Mm-hmm. I think like for us, that's a little bit confusing to understand, but most people dislike their job. So they go like, oh, I'm going to do this until I got enough money to just enjoy the last 30 years of my life without having to do this shitty job. And then I can just do whatever I want. And that probably encapsulates personal growth and some activities that are of interest to them. But I think because we just chose the thing that is of interest to us as our main thing to just do for our entire life. And we're hedonistic as as fuck in, in the sense that we were like, even if I make no money at all, I would still prefer to be doing this in a shitty fucking dingy house living with 50 people than I would to yeah. You know, doing any other shitty job and waking up every day just to go and like fulfill some other person's dream. Um, that it's a little more difficult for us to understand this, uh, maybe other perspective that the general person in the world has about retirement. Yeah, that's a good point. And also, a lot of musicians don't even fucking put money into <laughs> into a retirement fund, and there's like no real standard like uh, set there. Uh, you know, for for musicians, whereas in every other job, it's kind of like assumed that you'll put money into a four hundred one k and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely more manual uh, effort to like whether or not a musician has like a retirement fund. It's definitely like. That's I mean, on a musician. I, yeah, exactly. I don't have one yet, but I'm starting to toy with the idea of starting one. I did just get like a good tax refund, actually. Maybe I can do that. I nice. paid for the first year ever, I paid too much tax. Wow. Which is cool. So I ended up getting a bit of money back from that. Every other year, I've paid fucking so much tax. It's crazy. I'm doing the Christofferson approach and just not doing my taxes because I can't afford to pay. Uh, it, among other things, I also had like a mix up of unemployment where like uh, I received unemployment for like six months and then the state of Colorado changed their laws around like who can receive unemployment. Uh, basically just saying that like additional identification was required uh, within like 90 days from these emails that they had sent out. Otherwise, you're un- you'd have to pay back the unemployment. And this is like right towards the tail end of mine. I didn't see these emails and neither did like 22,000 other Coloradans. So like um, I've looked into it. They're like, hey, you owe a fuck ton of money. And I'm just like, wow, that's crazy. I didn't know about it at all until I was trying to do my taxes uh, last year. Uh, And then like I I got to the part where I did put in unemployment shit. so I logged into unemployment and I come to find, oh, like for the last year, actually, since discovering that I had owed like almost $20,000 to Colorado, which I had ne- I didn't even received half of that in uh, actual unemployment benefits, which is just weird. So is it just um, like interest that's made it equal 20 grand or? Uh, that's actually a good qu- uh, question. I'm not sure. Uh, basically, 
there was this was a new system that they made entirely. Like the fact that they're changing it to make it so that they required like you know. Uh, identification uh, or different identification than they previously had. Like, if I had just submitted my ID, if I had seen these emails in that time frame, then I would have, like, avoided this whole thing. But I didn't, and neither did 22,000 other Coloradans, apparently, too. So, like, and then I didn't even know about it until a year later. So, like, uh, there was, like, amnesty, and there was a system in place for people who had missed those emails, but there wa- there isn't a system in place for people who had missed like the follow-up, like just in case you missed it. So there's no entry point in the system for me to handle that problem. Mm. Uh, I would have to probably just go to the, the office in person or some shit. Uh, That's probably uh, worth doing because you don't want to be living with 20 grand of debt over your head. No, no, not at all. But like, I guess, uh, like, I guess with really no overhead or like no, uh, like money saved, I'm like, I, I just, like, I want to be prepared for any outcome, which, like, I, and I know likely within the next couple of years, like, I'll hopefully have uh, uh, some money like that uh, sitting on that uh, where I could just, you know, handle any worst case scenario for this sort of a thing. Um, That's kind of like the the uh, path of a musician, right? It's like life is totally fucked unless you basically just, like, get really popular or something and make something work. You're just kind of like <laughs> hashing all of your eggs in like one basket that, that'll that just pay off eventually. Yeah, which I mean, is the, I, a crazy yeah. thing to do, but yeah, I mean, it, it, <laughs> is, it takes a lot of like confidence in a weird way, I think, to do that, like a certain type of confidence. That it, it like, I trust that. Well, yeah, because it's also like I'm coming also from the perspective I'm like, was it like I, I went through it when I found out, like, oh my God, I owe the state of Colorado almost $20,000. Because when I found that out, I had like that had been my reality unbeknownst to me for the past year prior to that. So like I was like, oh my God, oh my God, I was panicking. But then I'm like, wait a minute. Like this is like been for a year. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm like, wait, it's not like I was like waking up in the middle of the night, like, oh, like, or like, you know, like in physical pain in my day-to-day life. Like I was completely oblivious. So like that's kind of I just (laughs) try and remember that. And also because it's like the silliest misunderstanding. I literally was was sucking Colorado State's penis like full around uh, like reported every cent I made um, for like the two years prior to that, Um, like specifically so that I could avoid any bullshit coming up. Uh, because, uh, you know, uh, I'm an independent contractor and, um, blah, blah, blah. And I was receiving unemployment. I didn't want this to come back to like haunt me. So like, I feel like I have a pretty good case, um, like for if, or when, cause like, I just heard that the state of Colorado wasn't even pursuing people, um, for this because like, it was like such a last minute thing that they decided on. And, and it clearly caused problems for so many people that, uh, I imagine that, you know, if I do receive a letter before I, you know, try and deal with it again, I imagine that, uh, you know, there will have to be some understanding. Like, I, I I got a pretty good case. I, like, wrote out, like, a fucking five-page, like, dissertation as to, like, why it was bullshit from, like, so many different reasons. Like, this is fucked for the all these reasons. <laughs> like, please, 
like I can't just owe this money like just from some arbitrary like bureaucratic change of like system from like three measly emails like if it's so fucking important it's like the most important thing like apparently <laughs> then there's only three emails sent about it but damn yeah well hopefully somebody listening to this podcast works at the somewhere in the Colorado government and can help you out yeah so if they yeah. can send an email to Kyoto at whatever your Gmail is. Yeah, yeah, um, US at Gmail. Yeah. There you go. All right, dude. Well, hey, man, um, you should probably wrap this up, but I appreciate you coming on again. It's always a pleasure chatting with you, man. It's, uh, you have an interesting mind, and I always, uh, yeah, it sparks ideas within within me to chat with you all the time. So, yeah, thanks again oh, for yeah, chatting. Dude. Yeah, likewise, dude. Thanks for having me on. Uh Big ups on your recovery and, uh, um, yeah, um, check out if you're listening. I put out, uh, my mix from Mission Ballroom Immersive. Uh, it is on my SoundCloud. Uh, it's got a bunch of new stuff in there if you want to see what I'm working on. But that's, that's really all I have to plug. Hell yeah, dude. All right, man. Have a good one. All right. Thanks again, dude. Peace. Yo, what's up? Thanks for listening to the Mr. Bill podcast. This show is produced and edited by Robert Fumo. You can get early access to the show by going to my website, mrbillstunes.com and paying me instead of Patreon. And remember to go rate and review on iTunes or I'm going to come to your house and punch your dog in the throat, upper deck your toilet and fuck your partner. Note, I may or may not do those last couple of things. Uh, You should probably just go rate it on iTunes or Spotify or whatever it is that you listen to the podcast on because it really helps the podcast. Um, But but just know that, that it'll go a long fucking way to me not doing those things if you do go do that. So uh, just, just putting that out there. I know what I'm-